Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Corey Tavella. Corey is the principal at Thomas More College in South Australia. Welcome, Corey. Thanks so much, Jono. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, first of all, mm. can you give everyone, I, I gave a bit of an intro there to what you do, but give everyone a bit of an overview of, of uh, who you are and what you do. 
Sure. Uh, well, I'm the uh, principal of our school, Thomas More College in Salisbury Downs in South Australia. Um, we are, um, I suppose we're called a suburban school because we're 15 minutes from the city. But the context of Adelaide um, is that 15 or 20 minutes outside of a city is actually almost um, considered um, rural um, and not, you know, I'm being flippant there, but um, there's a real um, uh, bit of a misconception about our school that um, we're not a large school, but we are. So I'm actually the principal of a school with 1,021 students um, this year, and I have 119 um, staff that work with me, and I purposely use that word, um, work with me. Um, and I love my job. It's an absolute privilege. And I've been in education. This is my 22nd year in education now. Wow, that's incredible. And yeah. um uh, it's also great to hear a little bit about the about the school and, and where you're yeah. based. Anyone who has never been to Australia or been to uh, particularly to South Australia, beautiful part of the world, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, it's lovely down there. Uh, so it would be great for listeners to hear a bit of your story. So as you go, I guess as you look back, particularly even childhood growing up, are there any moments starting there that you look back at and think, wow, that was that was a pivotal moment for you know, shaping who Corey is today as a person, but also some of those moments that you, that you think I had no idea what was going on. I was only little, but I can see there was a seed planted of, of who I am as a leader back then. Yeah. It's look, it's probably difficult to make some of those connections off the cuff, but one of the things that I'll say is that uh, I probably never intentionally planned on being a teacher. That's probably the, the first thing that I would say. Um, uh, having said that, once I became a teacher, I really I fell in love with it and really couldn't imagine um, having done anything else. Um, and then I certainly hadn't planned on uh, becoming a principal of a school. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll start with some of those um, early experiences and aspirations. Um, yeah, I was a very I was a really happy kid when I was growing up. Um, Dad uh, migrated from Italy. Mum um, married someone who migrated from Italy. We were quite a small connected family, but uh, quite a large extended family. And so I suppose I was always surrounded by people, um, and that had its pluses and minuses. Um, I'm an introvert, which um, you know is is challenging for a little bit. Um, so, I, I, and I, I think I was, I think I'm the first uh, Tavella, there's not many of us in South Australia, but I think I'm the first Tavella to actually go to and graduate from university. Um, and certainly in my father's extended family that is in Italy as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm the first one, um, which was pretty big for our family, I suppose. And I sort of didn't think anything of it, which is, you know, it's what you did when you went to school. And I know that my dad, who was a, um, a migrant when he came over at 17, you know, he worked really hard for us and that probably dad passed away about 10 years ago. So that probably only really um, stuck with me once, once he passed away, just to acknowledge his journey and um, the sort of um, not sacrifices, but the hard work he made for us. Um, so for me, the context is that, you know, family was important, but always being around people, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, from there, um, I went to the, our local um, government primary school and I think what I took from there is that I, I just learned to love learning. Like I wasn't particularly good at school, but I loved learning. I loved being around people who were involved in education, really enjoyed my teachers. And then I moved to a, because um, my, you know, my parents had that old adage that you work really hard and you send your son or daughter to the best school. So we moved to what they considered the best school. And it, um, you know, it's, it's not saying that it was the best school for everyone, but they sent us to, um, uh, for me to a, a school in the city, Christian Brothers College. Um, and um, yeah, I, I again didn't recognise maybe some of that hard work and sacrifice they made, but um, I probably didn't enjoy it straight away. It was a very different experience of schooling, but um, when I look back on it now, I'm very grateful for them making that sacrifice because if I gained the enjoyment out of and the passion for learning from my previous primary school, moving to Christian Brothers College gave me that um that real, um, I suppose, that next level of engagement in learning and maybe mm. a pathway. Um, and just for some context, Christian Brothers College is a, a fairly, was a fairly traditional all-boys school, still is an all-boys school, but is a bit more progressive now. And I came across two teachers during my time there that are a bit chalk and cheese, but they sort of gave me some inspiration 
to look for that next step. Yep. One of them was a, a very old school um, a teacher and the other one was a uh, progressive um, older female teacher who in the midst of working in a school full of you know 900 young men really challenged that status quo. Um, and I think what I took from both of them was the idea that um, our job in society, in fact, our role, and you know, from a, um, I suppose, a Catholic perspective, my school at the time, um, it's actually our mission to to positively challenge what's happening in the world. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So, that, so that's... they really influenced you, those two sort of mentors, or that as who were on different, completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of progressive versus very conservative uh, uh, teachers. Yeah, just, and, and I suppose, you know, the other teachers were fantastic as well. Um, but I think just because they offered that, that sort of that sense that to be fully human was to challenge and, you know, to, to continuously challenge and to ask the question, probably lit a fire in me that I didn't fully understand until later. Um, so then progressed into university. I thought I wanted to be a journalist because I loved writing. I loved uh, English. Um, studied journalism for a year, got really good marks, but sort of looked in the industry and didn't think it was something um, that I probably wanted to move into, um, especially in terms of the, the written form. Um, so I was sort of a bit lost um, after where to go to from school, because uh, that first year of university, because school was very much, you know, you go do this, you study that, you get into university. And so it was probably one of the first decisions that I had to make for myself, um, you know, as you get older and um, almost went into teaching with a bit of a whim because I probably thought about those things that I mentioned in terms of loving learning, um, loving sort of pathways and knowing your future and that sort of stuff and having an influence. Um, and at that time, loving English. And ironically enough, my first leadership appointment was actually when I was working at a supermarket. Um, I was there for seven years and was running their front end, like a yeah. front end supervisor and happened to work. <laughs> it was quite bizarre. I happened to work with some young people who were my staff and, I thought maybe, you know, maybe this idea of loving learning and um, connecting with people and then um, uh, experiencing leading young people, maybe this is really positive. So all that turned into teaching and managed to um, change my direction into become a middle secondary teacher. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, what did you, I always love asking these sort of questions about those early <laughs> jobs. What did you learn from your time as a, you know, in your first sort of leadership role in that supermarket, that's really stuck with you. And also, this is always a good one. Uh, were there any absolute clangers where you? We've all got those stories in early on where you sometimes not so early on as well where you really drop the ball. Yeah. But then it really shapes, and you go, "Wow, I'm never doing that again." Um, and yeah, any stories come to mind from the supermarket? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, this is we're talking, chiefness. We're talking uh, 25, almost 30 years ago. Um, yeah, so I, I don't I don't know if um, there's many negative stories that I remember. I just remember um, getting the job because you know my sister was working there, so it was a pretty easy transition. Um, and then um, probably finding the impact because I'm an introvert. Um, for some reason, being there uh, brought out the extrovert side of me. So you know you felt like you had to almost perform, if that makes sense, to be someone that you're not, to be a successful, uh, you know, person working in a supermarket. And, and maybe I'm looking, you know, taking that into a bit too much detail, but that's a sort of, I suppose, internal reflection that an introvert often does, where you overthink social interactions that um, might be really easy for other people, but it's actually quite exhausting to do because some other people who are extroverts can rock up and just perform, whereas an introvert needs to really carefully think about, you know, what's required um, the sort of language you might use um, and then, you know, what, what might be an unintended consequence from there. So I think maybe that's one of the first things I learned that, um, you know, that, that I was an introvert and it was going to be tough, but I could actually, you know, I could do it. And I think I became, mm. you know, relatively good at it, but that was noticed pretty well in terms of customer service skills. So maybe what I took out of it was just that importance of being able to push yourself beyond what you can be, not to be uncomfortable and not to be someone else, but, um, be the version of yourself you need to be for a certain role. And that was yeah. noticed fairly early and, you know, managed to become a, um, a front end manager of a place that I thought, wow, I, um, you know, I just came here for a part-time job and ended up um, uh, managing the place part-time um, like the, the sort of the front end of the supermarket. So um, yeah, it was an interesting part of my journey, interesting stop on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then what about your journey from starting as a, uh, as a teacher to becoming a principal? Was that, was it clear to you from the start that that's what you wanted to do at some point? How did you sort of end up where you are now? Well, I think because I'd had that um, very early experience um, as, as a leader. And in fact, I remember going to my first teaching job interview and talking about um, how I'd moved through leadership in the supermarket. And I thought, maybe you don't want to hear this. And one of the, the deputies at the time said, actually, no, this is good stuff. You know, let, let's, let's connect to your leadership journey. So when I became a teacher, it was all about um, helping kids to discover a, a love of learning and to be the best version of themselves they can, which, you know, having just mentioned my schooling journey that I talked to you about before, maybe that played that subconscious role in becoming the teacher that I was. Um, and because I went to a, uh, my first job, um, I actually got quite early. I was one of the, um, somehow managed to land um, a full-time permanent job, which as an early teacher doesn't really happen anymore, um, where you just walk in and you interview and you think you've stuffed the interview up, but actually it sort of went all right. And I'm, I'm not sure whether it was that performance mode that I was able to tip onto as well. That is that, you know, that, as I mentioned, that almost the extroverted version of me, um, but I managed to be able to sell that, um, uh, that version of myself that was that real vibrant, positive teacher. And so from there, because it was such a new school, I only really, really ever taught full time for a year. Um, and there was lots of different leadership opportunities that opened up to me. Sure. And while I probably didn't think that I would become the principal, it wasn't an aspiration. I think I learned pretty early that the best version of myself I could be in this school to have the best impact on um, my students initially and then working with others was to be the best teacher I could be and then to look for opportunities to take the mould of that excellent teacher that I think I was and um, start to connect that with other people. Um, so um, I suppose there were different leadership opportunities. There was, you know, year level leadership and curriculum and different areas in house leadership. Um, we're fast forwarding a bit, managed to uh, move across um, to three or four different schools. And I'm, you know, I'm happy if you want to delve into any of those journeys, but um, probably the last significant stop I was at was um, when I became a, a deputy principal. I've had uh, three deputy principals roles, one at um, an all boys school. Um, one at an all girls school and one at a co-ed school. Um, and wow. yeah, so it's a bit of varied experience in there. Um, and when I was looking at leadership, like deputy principal was probably my aspiration because I saw some excellent deputies and probably in my time, like I think about my own um, you know, failed sports career. I'm a bit of a sports tragic. Like I'm good at lots of stuff in my head, but it actually doesn't really materialize when I'm playing. Um, but I was always the vice captain of teams. Um, so that sense of being a principal or that ultimate leader never really sat comfortably with me. But I, um, I came to my current school, Thomas Moore College, four years ago as an acting deputy principal, really um, as a bit of an arrangement with um, the previous principal who I'd worked with at another school. And it's just sort of lined up that I was, um, I was looking for a bit of a break from my, my previous school, which I loved, but looking for something different. Um, he had need for an acting deputy because the current deputy was going on leave. I'd lined up um, a study tour in America. Um, and so this, this sort of sat perfectly for a term. Um, so I uh, was here for a term, acting deputy, said my goodbyes, went to America, was in America for two weeks. In the first week that I was there, I got a message from the principal who said that he'd been offered a role acting somewhere else and uh, that I may have the opportunity to apply for the acting principal role here. And so I applied for it and won it while I was in America, got off a plane um, Sunday at about 11 a.m. after being on a 23-hour flight and then walked in here as the principal the following morning. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit nuts. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the perfect... Um... That feels like a, that feels like what you do in a reality show of like leadership, you know, the ultimate challenge is put you on a flight for 23 hours and then, <laughs> and then off the plane, go and lead this, uh, this new organization for you to lead. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing your journey and we can definitely unpack um, different parts of it. One question I have um, straight away is you, you did three deputy roles and then you stepped into yeah. this role. What, what have you found the biggest uh, challenge and, and what are the biggest differences between being the principal, you know, the captain versus the, the, yeah. the deputy, the vice captain, what are the biggest differences and challenges? I think it's, um, I've got a, a more fuller appreciation of the importance of 
building a team and having a team that's yours, um, that's mine, um, and that's also ours as a team. So probably one of the things that I uh, maybe fully didn't appreciate when I was a deputy, like I always appreciated the connection between uh, me as the deputy and the three or four different principals that I worked with at the three different schools. But I, I and as I, um, as I moved further into being an experienced deputy, so just for some context, my first year as a deputy principal was 2010. And my first year as the principal here was um, early 2019. So I was, uh, I had a, a decent stint as a deputy across the three schools. And um, you know, I, I think I, as I moved into that um, deputy principalship and over my career, I probably um, began to more appreciate the importance of team. So it wasn't just about the deputy and the principal, it's actually about relying on the team around you. And I think that's been my one of my biggest growth points in coming here is that knowing that when I moved into this role, even though ultimately the, the buck stops with me, which is another realization for me, you know, you occasionally look around the room and you realize that, hold on, this decision's actually mine and I need to make it. But then I take a step back and go, There's okay, it's, I'm okay with that because I can make this decision with people if that's yeah. appropriate, or I can throw the idea out there, get some feedback, but then the team needs to understand that ultimately the decision is mine and therefore that responsibility sits with me. So just that, that important construction of team dynamic um, and knowing that this year we are um, the biggest that we've ever been. We're, as I mentioned, 1,021 students. Uh, we're a pretty big growing um, organisation. Um, four years ago, we had 768 students. So you can imagine wow. that growth over time. And so one of my catch cries last year was that there's no blueprint to how to build um, or how to lead a, a growing school. Um, <laughs> so what I've tried to do is just to be really acute of the people that we need to lead, the different um, personality and leadership styles um, that I think I need and I think that our school needs. Yeah. Um, and just try and work with them to be leaders of leaders. Um, so my, my executive team of seven, one of our mantras this year is that we we are we've been doing lots of stuff for a while and doing it really well the next level for us is to be the leaders who are leading those who are also doing things um but also also leading with them if that makes sense yeah that does and i love that perspective it reminds me of uh patrick lentroni's uh, mm. work which i love and he yeah. talks about cascading communication and and i love that picture of cascading i think it works really well because uh, as a leader, sometimes I feel like, you know, you can really scratch your head and you can look at the grassroots, you can look at the fruit of what you're doing and go, how am I going to change that? Um, and it can be very daunting. And yeah. uh, particularly in schools, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you're looking at young people going, how do we do this better? How do we really uh, play such an important role in society and take this to another level? It's quite daunting. But when you bring it back to, well, why not like how can we how can we get clearer and healthier in our executive team that's yeah. doable like that's something yeah. you can do it's not easy but it's doable and then if you cascade that which i love what you're saying it's like okay if we can get really like if we can really lead ourselves well and we can really rely on each other well and be yeah. a healthy team now it's time to take it to the next level and you and and that's that picture of cascading that starts in the executive team it goes to the people that each of us, you know, that we're leading yeah. and, uh, and, and become leaders of leaders and actually raise up uh, leaders. That's great, Corey. I love that. Yeah, we, we, we talk about, I, I love the idea of cascading leadership. We talk about, um, you know, divergent and shared leadership as well, which is, it's the same thing. You know, the idea that um, we can't lead a school of 1,020 the same way we led a school of 768. Mm. Um, so, um, but you also can't compromise on quality because, um, we are, you know, unashamedly the school for choice in this area, um, yeah. which is just awesome. We've, we've built that really well over the last few years and my predecessors as well. So for us, it's not about just doing things more efficiently, but it's doing things. Um, it is, you know, it is about efficiency, but it's not compromising on performance. It's actually improving that performance over time and getting better. And um, I, I probably my natural leadership style or my, my, my style sort of, uh, had evolved into working closely with people, which is a real challenge because I can't work closely with 1,021 students and 119 staff. So another value that I've held, that I've had to, well, that I do hold um, strong as a leader is the idea of presence. So what I've tried to do is try and think about, well, how can I be called to be present with people, 
while at the same time, you know, being involved in that cascading leadership. And that's, that's a real mm. challenge, but it's a positive challenge that I've got to keep reminding myself every day of, you know, how do you, how do you keep leading the strategy, but also how do you keep working with um, everyone so people know that you're present? Yeah. And it is, it is a tension, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I definitely think you can focus completely on your executive team and then yep. realize uh, absolutely without any intention that you come across as very absent to other people because you're not spending any time being present. And then you go, what do you mean? I'm, yeah, I, you know, I'm, but, and that's where um, I think what I love about what you're saying is about, is that being present is very strategic. It's, yeah. you can't, and, and you're, you're, there, there might be small business leaders listening who are just breaking through a ceiling of 20 staff and yeah. they're getting super stretched and going, I can't spend time with every one of them, but yeah. you've got that time six, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's just physically no way you can do that with 120, but you can be very strategic about what being present looks like as a leader of 120. And it's the same, it's, it's different, but it's the same principle for a leader of a hundred thousand. Yeah. Being present is just, uh, just a, a different level of challenge, but it's the same principle. Yeah. And I'd, I'd probably um, agree with you, but also challenge on the language around strategic. And I would say it's more about intentional, Like mm. for me, strategic presence implies that you're planning to be present with people. And I think when you do that, yes, of course you are, but it, it's, it's almost a bit mechanical. And I've, you know, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen and worked with people who may have done that before where they, it's almost like a ticket box. I need to spend five minutes with these people today. And that, that, that's okay. But that's, Again, that, I think that, that's, a, that's one way of strategic presence. To mm. me, yes, it's strategy. Yes, you're planning, but it's actually intentional. So if I'm going to you know, take 20 minutes to be with a, um, a certain group of people, let, let's make sure they understand that I value that time because I do. Um, yes. And I hope that I've actually got, like, they, they can see the intention in where I'm gathering. The intention might just be to say hello and see what's going on. Or the intention might be, let's have a conversation about where this is going and how we can improve it. Um, yeah, that's, so for me, that's that idea, so good. Of, yeah, that, that idea of, and we, we've talked about it this year with one of our themes of impact, like for me, it's about intentional impact. So knowing that you can have an impact on doing it this way, um, and also being mindful of what that impact might be. Yeah, that's, I, I wanted to ask you what you found, um, as a deputy and as, as a principal, because I, when we have these conversations, I always imagine, you know, the listener who, who suddenly has been listening, but all of a sudden goes, this is what I need. I need, I need to work out how to be present. Corey seems to know how to do that. (laughs) What, what have you found? Um, uh, like what does intentional presence look like for you? And what doesn't it look like? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe give us a bit of a, what you've found so far. I um, done it. Um, I've got two things that come to mind. Um, I remember having my first, um, like I'm quite aspirational, even though I'm an introvert, I, I like to be doing good things and like to be achieving. Um, and that comes from a, a bit of my leadership style and personality profile, which I might get into later. But the, the idea of achieving something is really important to me. So sometimes that can lead me to be quite um, narrow-minded and have you know a goal and nothing stops me from achieving that. And I remember in my first year as deputy, um, I was quite young as a deputy in our system over here. And I think even now, I think I'm probably the, the youngest or second youngest um, principal in our system, um, certainly in the secondary sense. Um, but after my first year of deputy principalship, one of my, um, in one of my appraisals, there was some really strong feedback about being intentional and being meaningful. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And one of the guys said, well, we noticed some, like some, what the comment that's been said is that when people come into your office, you'll often talk to them, but you're actually doing something else at the same time. So, you know, you might be talking to them, but your attention's away, or you might be talking to them, but you're looking at the clock. And I was never aware that I actually did that. For me, it was about an efficiency of, okay, I've heard what you've got to say. Now I want to act on it. And I think subconsciously I was actually acting on what they were saying without being present with them. So that that's mm. one of the things that, you know, that, that idea of um, when someone's with you as a leader, um, they're, they're really intentional about why they're there. So the listening is really important to understand why they're there. Because if I understand what they're hoping to get from me and why they're coming to see me, I can then be really intentional in my response to them. 
Um, and that response might need to be pastoral, you know, mm. it might, it might need to be, um, uh, a bit more listening. Uh, it might need to be investigative and look, I'm not really sure. Tell me a bit more about that. Or it might need to be, um, authoritarian or industrial and saying that, look, you've heard this, um, this is just not right. This is the way things are. Um, mm. It's not my default leadership style, but I think I do um, lots of really keen listening when someone comes in because I, I really need to work out what their intention is in coming to see me. Yeah. Um, the second thing I was going to mention, and I did um, some uh, a few different coaching courses early, um, mm. and one of the things they spoke about again was just that idea of active listening. That you know when you you know you're having conversations with someone, and and I could picture myself doing this 11 years ago, and someone's <laughs> talking to you, and you know that you're talking, but you know they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can mm. get in their their perspective, yeah. um, and I. Um, yeah, and I, and I think there's an, a, a constant awareness from me to not be that person yes. um, and to be the person who is authentic and is present. So I suppose back to your original question, I, I, you know, I don't have any great wisdom to share around how you be a present leader apart from just giving people um, the time that they need. Um, and if that means that if they come in in five minutes and want to jump into something, it actually might mean saying, look, I can't be present to you at the moment. I know this is really important to you. We're going to find a way to do it, but I just can't do it now. Yeah. Um, it's better than offering a solution that might be a really quick one that's quite inauthentic. Yeah, that's so good. That, and that's actually great advice. I think that's, that's really good, the wisdom around being present. But that's brilliant. What you said at the end there is that um, just, I guess, setting expectations around that. Um, but when someone... It's those little, it's those little things often that uh, when someone comes in, giving them your full presence. And, and the other thing that, that strikes me out of your story is the only way you found that out was because of a process where there was obviously some element of 360 degree feedback. And uh, the problem with, uh, with all of us, myself included is we don't know what we don't know. We cannot (laughs) see what we can't see. Right. And I'm sure I, um, you know, when I'm leading people, I'm sure there are things that I do that are so frustrating and, uh, and, and really that should be the same for all of us to be aware of that. And so that's what I love about your story. The only way you were able to find that out, which is now, you know, years later, you're bringing it up as one of the keys to being present is actually how yeah. you've, is, is that you got that feedback, um, which, uh, you know, isn't, is easy. And this is, I was chat- saying this with someone else on the podcast. The problem with feedback is the higher, you get the more authority you have yeah. responsibility, the, the more, the easier it is to control the feedback you're getting. Correct. <laughs> Which yeah, is, you're right. It's you're a right. vicious cycle because then your blind spots only get bigger and yet you are in control of the feedbacks. You, you cannot yeah. see them. And so I think a big challenge for any leaders listening is, um, which ties into all things, not just presence is to seek authentic feedback and even if it's heartbreaking and a bit you know like shattering it's it's worth it in the long run um they were a couple of things i got out of that so that that was great really good advice Corey. i think i've got probably a couple of things to add there if that's okay john please Um, yeah i reckon like for me as i've formed myself as a leader there's probably three levels like you're absolutely right in terms of having the courage to get some honest feedback and as you become, you know, a more advanced leader, it is sometimes tougher to get that feedback, um, maybe until it's, you know, it's rolled up into something that's really that you don't want to hear because the feedback has been mixed with emotion. But for me, there's three things that I've found as key to keep myself honest with this and to not go back into what used to be my default, which was that straight and narrow stuff. So the first thing, as I mentioned before, is about building your team. Um, and I think I've, I've, I inherited an excellent team um, and I've been able to build on that with some departures as well. And I'm really um, uh, directed in looking for those people who in some ways will complement my style, but in other ways where needed will absolutely challenge. So I've got a couple of these in particular who mm. I will often throw some things out because I know they're going to challenge me, but I want that. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'll often be intentional as well and say, look, we're in a bit of a rush with this, but I need people to tell me where the warts are on this. You know, let me know. Am I really stupid in saying this? Where are we going? Um, so that, that sense of team feedback is important. The second one is um, still having mentors. And as you know, as 
high as you move up, you know, there's, I was saying to my son the other day, I've got a, three boys, um, one in year 10, one in year eight, one in year two. And the yeah. two older boys are um, like me, they're um, sci-fi nerds. And we always refer to Star Wars quotes. And my, um, my big boy, who's um, in year 10, he's just turned 15. He's um, probably been for a couple of years, but he's now officially stronger and bigger than me. Um, <laughs> so he beats me in most things. Um, but one of the things, you know, he was bragging the other day about how, you know, how big and strong he is. And the quote I gave back to him was the Star Wars quote. There's always a bigger fish, you know, in the sense that it doesn't matter how big or how important you are or how big or important you think you are. There's always yeah. someone bigger. So my context there is to make sure that I've still got access to some of my team mentors that have been bigger fish and still are that um, I can check mm, in with. Um, that's good. And the last one is, um, you know, I, I want to use the phrase self mastery, but I don't, I don't pretend to have any sense of mastery over myself at the moment, but I think I do. I know myself as, um, as a, as a personality style and as a leader really well. And so um, I've got a, you know, a few tools that I've used to get there. And one of those, one of those, I'm not sure if you heard of the, the Enneagram before. Have you heard of the Enneagram? Yeah, I, lo I love uh, the Enneagram. would highly recommend yeah. um, people, people check it out. But yeah, keep, keep going. I love the Enneagram. So I'm a, um, a card-carrying type three. And for those who don't know what a three is, um, a three is referred to normally as two different terms. One is the performer and the other one is the achiever. Mm. And so I think, you know, I've been quite... Um, intentional in using those sort of that language with you already because at, at my best i'm an achiever where i where i strive to achieve but i've got to be careful when i'm a leader when i see myself moving into that performance space because sometimes i need to perform um you know we've got meetings with um you know people who we're connected with in terms of uh, building partnerships yeah. and they need to see for lack of a better term a performance from the principal now it's not yeah. about you know getting up and you know singing and whatever but it's it's about um you know being the sort of leader that i think they need to see and that i need to represent for our school yeah um but some of those quotes around being the performer like if i think about some of those personalities traits that i see i can i can like I know myself when I'm at my worst. And so I can see those traits. And when I see them, that's a bit of a red flag to me and say, hold on, what are you doing? Do you want to be in this space? If you do, let's go ahead with it. If you don't, just be aware that you might go down this way. So for me having that, you know, as I mentioned, the, the teams check in, the mentor check in and being, you know, having some tool to be aware of yourself um, is absolutely vital. Yeah, that's, uh, that's brilliant. Any, any, tools around the Enneagram that you found helpful, like any books that you've found uh, or, or that you'd recommend for people who might um, have, uh, you know, just know a little bit about it, or there could be people yeah. who've never heard of it before where, that they could start with anything you know of. Look, I, I don't, I don't have um, a lot of written resources as such that I refer to, but probably the most important thing is that I've done two lots of Enneagram training at two different um, schools, two different organisations. And I've come away from both of those with, um, you know, some information on your, your uh, personality type and therefore your leadership type. And, you know, for lack of a better term, who you play well with, who you don't. And if you don't play well, how you can do this and all that sort of stuff. And before the Enneagram, I've never been someone who would, you know, I struggle with those often, you know, those diagnostic tests. But this one for me, um, I think explains to me really well it's not, you know, it's not a perfect roadmap, but it does give me um, a, a, a suggestion on the things that I work well with. But more importantly, uh, and this is sort of in response to your question, just some ways that I can work best with other people um, who may be very different to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a real challenge in my early leadership when I, you know, worked with a few people who were, um, I, I've always got along well with most people, but, you know, in a leadership space, people have very fixed mindsets about leadership. They're very good people, but may not fully understand themselves as a leader. And when you see that in someone, I think I've, I found that really, um, uh, I suppose, troubling. I struggled to work with people initially who may not have been able to see that selves, see themselves in, in that sense. Um, so I think understanding that as a three, I can work with different people in this way was a bit of a gift to me. So mm. I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there, but, you know, um, I, I would, you know, I think the first thing is about identifying where you sit in terms of the, um, you know, the, the nine types and then, looking at some literature about how you can work with 
with some people and how you don't work with others and how you can overcome that and work with them. Yeah, that's great. I, and I'd highly recommend people check it out and there. And there is a lot, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Have you come across yeah. the road back to you by Ian Morgan Crone? I've heard of it, but I haven't done anything with it. Tell me yeah. more about it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good. It's a very, uh, I guess with the Enneagram, sometimes you, you start, if you don't have, uh, if you're not doing a course where there's a really great facilitator, like it yeah. says you had, sometimes you can sort of start pushing into it and it, and it can just get really confusing uh, really yes. fast because, and that's because it's that there's so much depth to it, which is actually, it's big, in my opinion, is one of the biggest um, uh, advantages of the Enneagram is how deep it goes. But if you, if you don't know what you're doing, you can quickly sort of go, wait a second. I'm so confused. What's what, what? And so Ian Morgan Crone has a book called the road back to you that, that sort of has a chapter on each type. And it's, it's a, um, it's just a good, uh, like for someone who who's just wanting to get an overview and an yeah. initial understanding and it's written in a very accessible uh, there's a lot of stories in there. So that's, that's one that um, that I've read and, and really enjoyed and, and lots of people I know who love the Enneagram speak highly of that book. So uh, I'm not saying that's the best resource ever yeah. on the Enneagram, but that's one that, um, that I've found helpful. And I think your points were made about um, having a tool or a few tools that, enable you to go into depth because one of the um i've seen people um engage with the enneagram in a really i suppose in a quick way in taking an online test that might be 20 questions and then using that as almost a, a bible in terms of moving forward of well this is who i am and i can't give that <laughs> away from that but yeah probably the best best initial thing that i've done was um you know when i was um going to say diagnose a three that sounds horrible when i was <laughs> when i was said that i could be a three there was um uh, both presenters that i've had in working with this and they've been very skilled have said look we think you might be here but we also think you might be here have a look so you bring some knowledge and you've got to say in this as well yeah and i think that's why i've appreciated it so much because you know we've all done some of those um you know, diagnostic tests where you go through, you get a whole bunch of numbers and then you're given this and you feel like, oh, jeepers, this is, this is the, this is what I am, I guess. So I just live up to that. But the Enneagram for me has been a, um, a bit of a living and a breathing thing and a way to be able to check myself. The challenge with being a three, you know, an achiever is that, mm. as I mentioned before, I'm an introvert. Um, and yeah. for an introvert to be an achiever or a performer, sometimes it doesn't work so well. So I've got to be really intentional about how I do that. I think. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. That's being a, th a three and a, and an introvert. I, uh, I'm a one on the Enneagram, which is the perfectionist. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> one of the, one of the biggest things that, um, and that was a, that was a, that wasn't new information, but it certainly yeah. was, was a big, aha moment in how it was packaged and i was going oh of course okay yeah, that, <laughs> that's not surprising to uh to people who know me really well like my wife um yeah. but um i definitely have found uh so just you know just uh one of the things i've enjoyed about the the one and um they're just the, for those who want to explore it, there's also, they talk about the, the wings, um, yeah. you know, and so that for me, there's a, there's a wing on, on the one that's the nine wing that, mm -hmm. which is this will, and let me simplify, let me give sort of a, a simplistic view of my view of this. I'm not saying, uh, you know, that someone who is doing a course on the Enneagram would say it like this, but as a one with a nine wing, one mm. of the, one of the biggest things that it helped me with is I, I'm very, driven in terms of when I'm focused on something and yet yeah. at the same time can be incredibly relaxed and uh, you know, could spend the whole day, you know, when I'm, when I'm in terms of downtime, literally not moving. And I always found those two things completely <laughs> at odds with each other and, and very much, I'd never sort of come across anything that could explain that except yeah. for, so I was always having a poke at why on earth Jono was like that. And then when I, when I discovered the Enneagram and I realized that in the one person and through this one sort of understanding the personality type to realize, mm. yeah, I am, I, I do obsess over getting things <laughs> right and getting things wrong is very at a deep yeah. level. That's, that's hard. Right. But at the same time, I do have this peacemaker, very patient, mm. slow moving, tolerant, which is actually a real superpower as a consultant yeah. facilitator, because I, I can be very patient. Um, 
And it just gave me some language around that to be like, ah, okay. Like that's, that's normal. Uh, But, and this is, this is how to sort of manage that, but here's the downside and, you know, here's how it can go wrong. And, and when I'm in an unhealthy place, here's what it, here's what it looks like. So for me, um, just because I love this topic and uh, for anyone who's going, Oh, is this worth checking out? Absolutely. One of the things that when I talk about depth in the Enneagram is that whole idea of healthy versus unhealthy that I love that you don't get in a lot of other. And so for for me, it's become, you know, with, uh, with my wife, Liz and I, sometimes we even talk about it when I'm in a really healthy place, there's these nine numbers in the Enneagram. Um, and when I'm really healthy, it tends to be more like a seven, which is really fun. So when I'm in a really healthy place, I have a lot of fun and you'll probably notice that like with the, with the podcast, I have a lot of fun. I really love this, but when I'm, when, when stuff's going on and I'm in an unhealthy place for lots of different reasons, like all of us, right. I, 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 often it looks more like, and I feel like a four and the four is the individualist, which once again is, is not a, it's not bad to be a four, but for me, when I become quite melancholy and quite Mm. philosophical, that was a, that was once again, um, because the Enneagram, a great insight. And I, I catch myself turning into philosophical melancholy, Jono. (laughs) And, uh, and you know what, once again, we all have those moments, but the funny thing is, it's just a great flag for me to go, yeah. hmm, how am I going? <laughs> and why am I thinking so yeah. philosophically? Is that is, and it's just, I, so that's something that I have not discovered in any other type of assessment that those are just a couple of angles about myself that have been really helpful for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I, I have a few key bits of languages in my mind about, you know, the, the three at the best and the three at the worst. And there's, there's a real fine line between the three at the best and the three at the worst. So, you know, for example, at my worst, I'm, um, you know, I'm superficial, um, inauthentic. At my best, I'm um, self-propelled. And you can imagine, you know, trying to, trying to propel yourself and then being superficial. There's a bit of a fine line there. And I can imagine mm. how... Uh, I can I can switch between both of those. So as you mentioned, there's a bit of a um, there's a real weariness there, and it's given me some language to say, hold on, if you're in this in this space or in this column, for lack of a better term, there's something not right here. And what is it? Is it emotions, situations? Is it um, motivation? What's going on? Um, so I think, as you said, that the Enneagram provides some depth there, and it sounds like you know we're, we're trying to sell the Enneagram to people, but. For me, like I, when I've spoken about educational leadership before, I've just, you know, spoken about um, what you, you know, sort of the, the original question you asked about mm. um, that, that idea of having authentic feedback. And for me, having a tool that provides you with the ability to give yourself feedback is absolutely vital. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, for me, it has been the Enneagram. Um, mm. As I mentioned, the, the, I think the, and this is my theory. Um, I've shared this with a fellow three leader who may not agree with this, um, but I think the introvert extrovert throws another lens over that. Um, so I worked really closely with a three who's an extrovert, yeah, um, and she couldn't understand some of my introvert threeisms, um, and I kept saying, "This is this is just my lens over it." So whereas you might go this way, I'm going this way. Yes. Um, yeah. And you mentioned stories before, and I was wondering if I might have a chance to raise this, but. I have a really stupid story, which was a bit of an aha moment for me about <laughs> when I think I discovered that I was um, an introverted three. Yeah. So I, I distinctly remember uh, being four years old and holding, it's a really weird story, but there's some context here, holding my um, mother's and my grandmother's hand and my sister was with me and we were at a, a pretty big shopping centre in South Australia and we were watching, and this is going to give away my age. We were, you know, child of the eighties. We were watching these rap artists and they were like doing break dancing. And I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. These guys are performing. This is awesome. And I remember I had like, I was holding some paperwork that I must've got from somewhere. Like it was the um, pamphlets about a toy shop or something. And for some reason, these guys, while they're in mid dance, walked over and grabbed me and pulled me out in the middle of this crowd. And they were hoping that I would dance them as a young person right yeah. now. I remember looking and I just, I just remember looking around and suddenly looking up and just seeing all, you know, those, you know, you see those Hollywood movies where <laughs> someone looks up and they see like the word, the room swirling around them. <laughs> I remember seeing that with these faces. And then I looked down and saw these, this paper that I was holding just everywhere. And I thought, my goodness, this is a mess. And like, here is, I'm expected to perform here and I can't do it. And I just remember 
just running, like I just bolted. And mm. so for me, it was that reminder. Um, and I, I remember when I did my first Enneagram training, it was an aha moment. I went, oh my goodness, this is this was maybe like the first time when I had this, not fear, but I, I recognized that public performance was actually pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and I know it's a strange story, but maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. No, that's a great story. I love, um, and I always love stories like that because you have no idea what's going on at the time. And, mm. and you know, usually we have no idea what's going on for 30 years after that, really. <laughs> but then one day you look back and you go, oh my goodness. Yeah, there's, mm. uh, there's a pattern there. There's something there. There's a seed there for, so no, thank you for sharing that. That was great. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm just aware of the time. Yeah. Are, you, uh, are you on a hard deadline? Do we need to wrap up right now? Or can we go a little bit over? I've got a little bit of time. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to ask you that in the middle of the no, podcast, but that's all good. I wanted to just do a couple of quick leadership express questions with you. Ready? Sure. Yep. Okay. Firstly, Corey, what is a book that you've gifted to other people? Oh, um, as I mentioned that the lens for my leadership is education. So most of my um, reading when I have time is around education and I'll share two books, one author. There's an educational leader from California, from um, Canada called Michael Fullan. Yep. And um, he's written a book called Nuance and a book called New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning. And they're important because they, I suppose they connect with two elements of my leadership. Mm. Nuance is about um, understanding that intentional impact you can have as a leader. And that word nuance is perfect. You know, that you might do something one way and it changes something slightly, but the impact could be huge. Mm. Um, the second yeah, one around, way. yeah, yeah. The second one around new pedagogies for deeper learning is understanding that there's different ways to plan and measure for student and society success beyond, a, you know, a diagnostic test or, you know, those sort of um, narrow learning experiences, which yeah, are important because they tell us stuff, but let's find other, other stories to tell us what well to complement that. Yeah, that's, uh, they're great recommendations. Okay, what is a great piece of advice you've received? Um, I have a bit of a metaphor which um, came from one of my leaders has developed over time um, and it's called the Corey train. And, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the advice is that just occasionally stop being the conductor and have a look and just to make sure people are on the train because it doesn't matter what your great ideas are, you know, how how big of an impact you reckon this can make if people aren't on board the journey with you there's actually mm. no point in doing it so for me it's just you know it's that that phrase of the Corey train and that's that's just enough to keep me going yeah i like that that's good uh what about a movie or tv show that really impacted you <laughs> we've already heard about star wars you can use that one again <laughs> no i'm laughing because i have really bizarre and broad um tastes in film and television yeah no that's great i um, love it some of them, like, you know, you, you go into depth and all this, you know, as, an, as a previous English teacher, you know, you've looked at some real deep, uh, impactful movies but, and films and, you know, TV shows. But as I think I get older, um, I, I probably watch movies almost purely for joy and just look for a bit of sometimes a bit of brain dead stuff, but also a bit of um, things to be challenged. And yep. oddly enough, um, it's a really strange answer, but... Um, <laughs> One of the movies that impacted me heavily was my favorite movie of all time, which is Pulp Fiction. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it did because um, at the time I was a, a almost finished school and I was, you know, thinking about writing and English teaching and I was, you know, in love with the idea of narrative and character and all that sort of stuff. And suddenly this movie came along that actually was out of narrative. I think what on earth is going on here? So while, you know, and, and, you know, the name Pulp Fiction is, you know, the idea that it's actually just, it's meaningless. Um, and sometimes we can, we can <laughs> obsess over the meaningless nature of things. So I thought, my goodness, if I just spent two and a half hours thinking, you know, what the hell am I, what did I watch this for? But <laughs> what I loved about it is that it's countercultural. It's different. Um, you can think of things differently and you can go back to it and see something um, that wasn't in the first set viewing and you can see it differently. So maybe mm. the, it promoted divergent thinking um, and deep charactership, I suppose. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why I love asking that question because leaders, there's all the leadership stuff we, we've talked about, but there's something about art, you know, that, yeah. that um, uh, now you mentioned sci-fi. Uh, this isn't one of the leadership express <laughs> questions, but I just have to ask this. Do you read yeah. any sci-fi or fantasy? No, I, I used to when I was at school. It was one of those, um, you know, I was comics and, and narratives and novels used to really get into it. But I think 
the the as I said that in terms of being time poor and yes. using it as a bit of a um, disconnect from what's going on in academic world and a and a connection with a different world. Um, I, I, I love you know I love a whole bunch of stuff, but sci-fi connects with me partly also with leadership because I know it's you know it's it's yep. not it's not real, but I love seeing the positions that leaders are in and the decisions yeah. that they make. Hundred um, percent. Often, I always think they've got that caveat of saying something scientific that makes no sense, and everyone goes, "Yes, let's go with that." Um, it's so that's. <laughs> I that's always right. think I've been cheated out of. You know, you've you've had this forty-five minutes to come up with this this solution, and then you've talked about what about if we reverse the polarity in the quantum, blah blah blah. And I thought, well, that's that's just that's just bullshit. Excuse my language. Um, but you know, or, or enhance. Can you enhance yeah. that? Enhance that image <laughs> times ten. Yes, we've worked it out. It's like, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. uh I mentioned that because for me I'd never really done uh I'd never really watched or read much sci-fi or fantasy, but right. I found a couple of years, probably about four years ago, as a as part of sort of self-care and, and as a hobby, I yep. started reading uh I used to get frustrated I'd read fiction, but it would be over after one book and yeah. sort of I'd get so into it. And so I started reading these long series by Raymond Feist and um Oh, I'm reading one at the moment by Brandon Sanderson. And, uh, but the, the one, you know, Raymond Feist, I think it was 24 books and wow. I read them over. And so I just found for me, just the escape to actually be in this other world for a, yeah. <laughs> a little bit every day was so rich yep. and I enjoyed it so much. So yes, uh, Raymond Feist, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Robert Jordan, I think his name is oh, the, okay. Wheel of, the Wheel of Time. They've just turned it into a series on amazon prime actually wow all of time but that's another great series so anyone looking for a hobby that um reading those books and when i say read i mean to be honest i do audio books because yeah. i love going to bed and my brain's still ticking with clarity yeah. right yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I have too many ideas and uh so something about just switching on an audio book like that going into this random world uh for 15 minutes is so enjoyable yeah um, there we go. Not not your traditional leadership conversation, <laughs> but that's the whole point of the podcast. Okay, one more yeah. question for you, Corey. Yeah. Uh, if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Oh wow. Um, I reckon it's a tough one, um, and I'm going to cheat. And um, uh, I was going to use a Star Trek quote. I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but um, there's something called the Kobayashi Maru. I don't know if that is that familiar to you. No, um, no, not yet. So, I, I, I do plan to watch it at some point. So it's a Captain Kirk response, and there was a Kobayashi Maru. It was a, a simulation that was set up in the Starfleet. I can't believe I'm talking about this in the Starfleet <laughs> Leadership Academy, and it was it was a test that was set up to fail. Everyone who tried it failed, and that was the lesson that you can't do everything right. But um, Kirk, <laughs> Captain Kirk. His response to it was he changed the rules and he passed it. So what I'm going to do is a Kobayashi Maru and change the rules slightly. I'm going to give you two quotes. Yeah. Um, they come from yeah. two different perspectives. Yeah. Yep. One is back yourself as a young leader. Absolutely back yourself. Um, but the other side of that is learn from others. And I reckon leadership is somewhere in the middle of that. And often, you know, sort of a Venn, I talk about Venn diagram of leadership. Sometimes it's about going one way. Sometimes it's about going the other way. But ultimately, it's about taking the wisdom from yourself and others and making the best decision and moving forward. Yeah, that's great. That's not uh, just great leadership advice. I think that's that life is in the balance between those two things. I think a lot of the time that that confidence to back yourself yeah. mixed with that humility and teachability to really deeply learn from others and be open. Uh, that's a wonderful thought to finish. Uh, so if people do want to connect with you online or find yep. your school and, and check out what you're doing, uh, maybe something you've mentioned today has been really helpful. Um, are there any ways in terms of LinkedIn, that sort of thing where people can contact you online? Yeah. So I'm on uh, LinkedIn as Corey Tavella. I'm, um, I think I'm probably one of the only Tavellas in Australia on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I am on Twitter as well. You can find me, but I'm not very active on that anymore. It's probably Twitter's more of an educator's paradise. And I think as I moved mm. more into leadership, it's really hard not to think like an educator because I still am um, in yes. every sense of the word. But um, I really enjoy engaging with people on LinkedIn and seeing what different um, leadership is in and outside of education. So I'm certainly found there. And um, our website is really easy to find. It's tmc.catholic.edu.au. Um, yeah, we're, we're really proud of our school. It's an awesome place to be. 
Yeah, wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, today's been a lot of fun. I know it, it will have also been really helpful. And there'll be some people who uh, I always believe, you know, just really needed to hear something that we sort of um, said in passing today at some point from Corey or, and that's, uh, that's why I love doing this. So thank you for tuning in to our listeners. Don't forget, I also have the John O. White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, which are both um, across all platforms for people to check out. But I want to finish today by saying a, a massive thank you to Corey uh, for being so much fun to chat with and uh, but also just bringing such wisdom. And, and that was just, it, it wasn't just fun. I felt like it was a really good, you know, sort of robust conversation about things like presence that for me, I, I look back probably at John O. leading 10 years ago and I think, that's something I didn't really get. And, yeah. uh, and I'm so excited that leaders who, who might be at that stage or older, um, you know, might hear that and, and actually implement that. And, and it's a game changer. So yeah, I had so much fun today, but uh, really appreciate your generosity and your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Corey. No, thanks, John. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and, you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John White or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even if You Hate Conflict. 
I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.